You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Why don't you tell someone beside you or across from you the title of my sermon this morning, To God Be the Glory. To God Be the Glory. Well, first and foremost, for those who have been attending Plus Life for quite some time now, I'm not sure if you know, but today we are celebrating, celebrating eight years of serving together as a Plus Life community. Amen, amen, amen. God has really taken us out of uh, just being a group of Bible nerds in a basement to a full-fledged church. And of course, as we've been talking about, we're, we're already in the discussion of of. of uh, inducting church members and all of that, all of that stuff. But today is our eight-year anniversary, or at least we're celebrating our eight-year anniversary. So there will be some uh, refreshments after the service. So please stick around for that and celebrate with us. Now, this morning we come to the final sermon in our series called Ecclesia. Throughout this series, we've been discussing the various responsibilities and expectations that believers are to live out and exemplify as they become part of the local church. Every topic that we've discussed so far in this series, uh, whether it's pursuing Christ or pursuing holiness or stewarding our resources or, or loving each other in the church, all of these topics have come from our community guidelines, our, our community expectations. And again, all of this has been done with the intention of preparing our church community, our church family, for church membership. Hopefully, throughout this series, you have been praying and asking God whether or not Plus Life is the local church that He wants you to partner with and endeavor with for the kingdom. And by now, for those of you who are in life groups, you should have already gotten or received the membership covenant to be signed and returned to us in leadership. And if you're not in life groups, but you do feel that God is calling you to Plus Life Community or the Plus Life Church uh, to be part of this community, then please speak to myself or one of the other elders after service and we can get that covenant to you as, uh, to you as soon as possible. Because next week, we will be doing our first official members induction ceremony. So please get excited for that. And again, if you have those covenants, please uh, get that back to us if that's what the Lord is leading to. Now, mind you, if you are still unsure, if you're still praying about it, and you haven't had a clear answer from the Lord about membership yet, that's okay too. There's no rush for you to get that covenant into us. It just means that you won't be inducted uh, next week. You'll just be inducted at, at a later date, which is fine too, as long as it's the Lord's leading you to do that as well. But if the Lord has already made it clear to you that Plus Life ought to be your home church, then please have that covenant signed and filled out and back to us as soon as possible so that you can be part of this milestone moment in, our, in the, the life of our church. Now, as we've been mentioning all throughout this series, these expectations and these responsibilities that we've been talking about are not just for those who want to be part of Plus Life Church or, or, or a local church. These, these are responsibilities and expectations that, that all believers... Everyone who calls himself a Christian, everyone who, who identifies as a follower of Christ ought to be participating in or ought to be living out. And that is all the more true with this last topic of discussion in our series, to glorify 
God, to glorify God. Our community guideline states, members are expected to have a God-centered worldview that brings glory to God in all thoughts, words, and actions. This pursuit to bring glory to God is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a worshiper of God. In fact, it is the primary reason for all of creation, really. Everything ever created by God was meant to bring Him glory. Now, to elaborate a little on this idea of glory, because this is kind of a Christianese word, right? We don't usually use this on Instagram or social media, or we don't hear this word glory uh, uh, in our modern-day language. When it comes to this idea of glory in Scripture, Scripture defines it sort of as an external manifestation of God's divine nature. Whether it's coming directly from Him, often referred to as God's Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. We read about this in, in the Old Testament, right, where, where God's glory rests on the mountain the top of Mount Sinai and God's people sees it. Or, or the story of Moses where, God, where Moses says, let me see your glory to God. And God has to hide him in the cleft of the rock while, while God passes by and just so, so, so that Moses, Moses can see just enough of him and not be consumed, right, not perish. That's God's Shekinah glory. That's God revealing himself in all his splendor, in all his majesty, in all his divine nature to his creation. The other way glory is referred to in scripture is the way in which creation creation itself reveals or reflects or even recognizes that glory of God. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. The reason the heavens declare God's glory is because it reveals the genius of our creator, the power and might of God who can create the sun, the moon, and stars in the orbits of the planets, thus further exemplifying his divine nature and therefore revealing his glory. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by him all things were created, In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Everything in the universe, from substance to form, from the smallest atom to the largest galaxy, to the laws of physics, to the elements of science, from the smallest cell of life in the mother's womb to the largest whale that swims in the oceans, absolutely everything. Everything in all of creation declares the majesty, the splendor, the brilliance, the power, the glory of our great God. And that includes you and me. Just like everything else in this universe, we were created, designed to declare God's glory. Not just by how our bodies are composed and how it functions, but with our very lips, our our minds, our actions, our very lives are meant to declare the glory of our Creator. Yet as we know from Scripture, the narrative of the Bible is that though creation's purpose has always been to declare God's glory, sin corrupts that. Sin develops pride in us, and and the glory that humanity was supposed to deliver unto God, we turn it inwards. We turn it to ourselves, or we turn it to the things around us, we turn it to creation. You know, something that my wife and I like to do on on our free time when we have free time is watch all these singing competitions, Right, like like The Voice or uh, Britain's Got Talent, and uh, not American Idol because you know 
idolatry, but one, one, one day we were listening to one of these uh, phenomenal singers, right, on these, one of these shows, and this, this thought struck me. It sort of just blew my mind as I, as I thought about it, and I shared with it to my wife. All these amazing singers in the world, whether it's, you know, Adele or Ed Sheeran or, I don't know, Celine Dion, whatever the kids are listening to these days, right? They, they were created with these amazing voices in order to give glory to God. Their ability to hit these notes that I can only dream of, their, their ability to write songs that sway the heart, they were created with those talents so that they could write songs of worship, so that they could utter praises and declare praises to our Creator. Yet as we know, they are using these talents for themselves or for, for their fans, but all of them, including us, we're born with talents and gifts to communicate and declare the glory of God all the more. See, in one way, this is why God hates sin. Because it robs him of his glory. We know this great and famous verse, right, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the what? Glory of God. Ever consider what that verse means? I ever consider why Paul doesn't say, you know, we all fall short of the love of God? Or he doesn't say we all fall short of the grace or the power of God? He specifically says the glory of God, the, the standard and purpose by which God created us for. And what is that purpose? God created us to be his image bearers. A reflection of his glory on this earth. Those who proclaim his majesty and praise his divine attributes, his holiness. That was our purpose. Yet in our sin nature, we intentionally and we, by, by our choice, choose to fall short of the glory of God. His purposes and his standards for us. We become less than what he created us for. And like our father, the devil, as Jesus says, we turn the glory inward. So now you can see why God's plan for salvation was so necessary. In, in one way, salvation is the story of God redeeming his creation, his image bearers from sin that causes us to fall short of that glory. In order to, he, salvation is there so that we, keep, we can be restored to that glorious state, that, that image bearer state of God so that we can reflect once again his glory. In fact, in that famous Ezekiel passage that, that often we Reformed Christians go to and, and love, right? Ezekiel chapter 36, the passage where God talks about his regenerative work in the individual or he takes out the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh and puts his spirit in us and causes us to walk in his statutes. In that famous passage, God states his reason for doing that, his reason for regenerating the heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, he says, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God's plan, his work of salvation was to vindicate, redeem his holy name, his reputation, his glory that was tarnished by our sin. And by saving us, he says, remember, through you, by saving us, he will restore his glory in all of creation. Peter says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, this is our purpose in this life. To proclaim the excellencies of God, his majesty, his beauty, his grace, his wonder, his power, his love, his glory to all of creation in order to bring God the praise and honor that he alone deserves. And so with that as our foundation, the question I want to answer this morning for us is, how do we do that then? How do we live for God's glory? For us who are on the other side of salvation, now redeemed, now renewed, cleansed of sin, and are able to give pleasing offerings to God, how do we live for his glory? Well, Fortunately for us, our passage is very clear on how we can do that. And so my desire, my hope this morning is that if you are a believer and you have not been living for God's glory, for his praise, for his honor, or you don't actually know how to intentionally do that, how to go about that in your life, that by the Holy Spirit and his word this morning, you would be enlightened and convicted and edified to devote your life, your entire life for his glory whether it's your words, your thoughts, your actions, your possessions, even all of it for the glory of God. So let's jump into our passage. Someone say, jump for me. So a little bit of context here as we go into our passage. Paul is writing to, of course, the, the notorious Corinthian church, a, a church that had a lot of issues as we were talking about last week. One of the issues they were dealing with was this idea of eating food offered to idols. Now, to start, uh, now, now, the start of this conversation begins in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. Paul talks about, uh, talks about the weaker brother. Maybe you've read this before, the weaker brother, and, or a new believer who came from pagan roots or pagan practices and, and having, to eat, uh, or having to eat food offered to idols in that context and how the mature believer ought to take notice and take into consideration the conscience of other of others, or of that weaker brother, before doing anything. This conversation of conscience continues all the way through the all the way through chapter ten to our passage, where Paul says in verse twenty-three, "All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up." Paul here is discussing the topic of Christian liberties, what our freedom in Christ permits us to do. This is a whole nother topic, probably for a whole nother series that we'll have to discuss, and we won't have time to do that this morning, but we'll touch on it a little. The basic premise of this is that in Christ, we have the freedom to enjoy the fruits of our salvation, no longer bound to legalism or the law or the traditions of man, but as Paul says in this chapter, we are bound to the laws of of Christ, or rather, he says in the previous chapter that the laws of that's the laws of grace that he talks about as well in Romans. So now the question arises: in our Christian liberty, in our Christian freedom, does that mean that we can do whatever we want short of sin? Again, because we're free in Christ. The answer is no, and Paul talks about this. That's what Paul is saying, even in our passage. He says all things are lawful, or or rather permissible, but not all things are helpful, or rather profitable. Then again, he says all things are lawful or, not, or, or permissible, but not all things build up, rather edifies. Paul's focus in this is how our liberties affect others. The building up that he talks about here, or, or the edification that he's talking about here, is not his own, but the edification of his neighbor. And that's seen in the next verse, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul then gives some practical application of this and, and how to follow this in the next couple of verses. In verse 25, he goes on to say, 
eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. It's like when you go to Costco and you order a hot dog and it says real beef, but you don't know what makes it real beef. Just don't ask questions about it, right? Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invite you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Paul goes at length at the necessity of making sure our Christian liberty does not cause a weaker brother in the faith to stumble. That, that what we do in our freedom in Christ doesn't violate the conscience of the weaker brother. He talks about this in length in, in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, when he even, where he even says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will not eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. He even says that it's a sin against Christ if we violate the conscience of the weaker brother brother. There's a whole topic there to be discussed, but we don't have time again for that. That's a whole other discussion, discussion and sermon and series. What I want to focus in on is what Paul says at the very end of verse 29 and, 30, and verse 30. He says, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? What Paul is getting at is that just as much as we are to consider the conscience of the weaker believer, that we don't cause the weaker brother to stumble or sin, at the same time, for us who are mature in the faith, we must not violate our own conscience by compromising our moral values, our convictions, the, 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 the convictions that are grounded in the truth of God's word for the sake of the weaker brother. And even for the sake of an unbeliever, we must not compromise our own convictions. Paul says, why should I be rejected or looked down upon, denounced even for my convictions in which I thank and praise God for? Then he gets to his bottom line, right? The focal point of our topic this morning, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I've heard this verse taken out of context before, and I'm pretty sure I've taken it out of context as well in the past, and, and not for ill purposes, of course. I think at face value, when we, when we read this verse, we can take it to mean even the little things that you do, right? Whether eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. And, and that is true, and I think that is an honorable, ad, admirable thing to pursue in this life. But that's not what Paul's talking about in our passage. Based on the context of our passage, Paul is saying, whether you eat or drink for the sake of your conscience, or you don't eat or drink for the sake of another's conscience, do it for the glory of God. The point that Paul is trying to make is that as believers, as uh, our conscience must be clear. And the only way to, for it to be clear is if, is if what we do is consistent with what we believe. Our conscience, our moral, again, that's our moral convictions. That's, uh, that's shaped by God's word and by his spirit. Only then can we do all to the glory of God when our, what we do is consistent with our convictions. See, here's the point. How do we live for God's glory? We must live with integrity. We must live with integrity. Listen, if our conscience or our moral convictions or our, our perspective in truth if our conscience is aligned with God's word and is guided by the Holy Spirit, and if our actions and words are consistent with those convictions, then we will live a life that brings glory and honor to, 
honor to God. Because our life would be in step with God's standards, His will, His purposes, His word, His spirit. That's integrity. Our public confession being consistent with our private conviction. But as believers, where we, where we fall short of God's glory is when there are inconsistencies with the way we live and what we believe. When we, when we know God's word tells us to, to forgive our enemies, yet we harbor hate and resentment towards them. When we know that we mustn't lust after our neighbor, but we do so anyways. When God's word tells us to love one another, but we gossip and we harbor bitterness instead. Those are inconsistencies that keep us from living a life of, of giving glory to God. Now, what adds to the inconsistencies is if our convictions, our conscience lacks maturity. Similar to what Paul is talking about with the, the food offered to idols, that whole situation there. Sure, we mustn't cause the weaker brother to stumble by our actions, but it doesn't mean that the weaker brother gets a pass or is right for being immature in the faith. In fact, God's word calls all believers to maturity and chastises believers who stay immature. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. The writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, don't misunderstand this, right? God grows each and every one of us in his own time, in, his, in, his, in our own pace. And there is grace along the way there. But the rate at which we grow is determined, how much, is determined by how much time we spend in God's word, how much time we spend in prayer, how much time we flee from temptation and slay sin. If none of those things are taking place in your life, then it's a good sign that you are still immature in the faith or maybe not even in the faith. But a mature Christian, someone who has grown in their convictions, they may not be perfect, but they will at least in their conscience be shaped by the truths of God's word and not just have their conscience uh, and, 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 sorry, and be consistent in their conscience and their actions. A mature Christian will, have, or will live a life of integrity that brings glory to God. So some application here for us this morning Consider your life for a moment. Are you living a life of integrity? If others saw what you do in the privacy of your home, would it line up with your confession here at church? Is your way of thinking, your convictions, your conscience, again, does it lack maturity? Are you growing in your faith with God? Church, the call here is to grow into maturity. To have our convictions, our perspective be shaped by the word of God. So that our, our conscience would be consistent with the truths of God. And so that our actions would be consistent with those convictions. We must live a life of integrity, of consistency between what we believe and what we do in order to bring God glory. Now, additionally, if we want to live for the glory of God, we must also live to worship. Live to worship. Let's go back to Paul's statement in verse 30, right? 
If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Paul gives us insight as to his thought process behind why he lives out his convictions, behind his conscience, whether he eats or drinks. And the underlying theme of that is gratitude. Gratitude. The reason why Paul feels free to eat whatever food is in front of him, even food offered to idols, is because he does so out of gratitude. He even says back in verse 25 and 26, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul is literally quoting a psalm recognizing the the glory of of God found even in the food that he eats in all of creation. Now, why gratitude is important for believers is because gratitude is what fuels our praise and worship. Gratitude recognizes what God has done for us, what He is doing in us, and what He is ultimately going to do through us. That fuels worship. Listen, we were made for worship. Our worship is part of how God reaps His glory from us. It's part of His design. So it is only fitting that we live our lives in worship of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is calling us to present our bodies, our entire being, as a living sacrifice, as an offering of worship to God. He's saying that all that we do in this flesh ought to be a holy and acceptable and worthy offering to our Creator. This command, by the way, uh, to be uh, a living sacrifice is coming off the back of the end of chapter 11, where Paul ends that chapter with this praise break. He says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him. Be glory forever. Amen. Then Paul carries on by saying, Paul is crying out, This is our God. He is rich in wisdom, rich in knowledge, generous in grace and mercy, creator of the universe, deserving of all praise and honor. At the top of 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present yourselves, your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is saying, listen, If you know God to be all those glorious things, then present your entire life, your entire being as worthy offerings of that, of of, of worship towards Him. And like the the offerings of old, that 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 like, like the offerings of old that needed to be unblemished, kept pure, sanctified, worthy, and acceptable to God, that's how our lives ought to be as well worthy and acceptable, holy for a holy God. So again, just by way of application, by the way you are living, would it bring praise and worship to God? Could you say that everything that you, every decision that you make, every action, every word that you undertake in this life would be an utterance of praise, a worthy sacrifice of praise to God? How are you presenting yourself as a living sacrifice? You know, one of the problems of being a living sacrifice is that we can often crawl off the altar. And oftentimes that's what we do. Instead of living for God's glory, 
or having lives that worship Him, we'd rather worship ourselves or the things of creation. And I get it. The word there is sacrifice. Sacrifice is hard. Sacrifice oftentimes requires a giving up of something, a relinquishing of something. But understand that is what we're called to do, just as Christ sacrificed Himself for us. If you want to live for God's glory, live to worship. Now, Paul's conclusion in this, in his passage here, he says in verse 32, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The reason Paul lives with a clear conscience, the reason why he tries not to offend unbelievers or, be, or believers alike, the reason why Paul even tries to please everyone is all for the sake of saving some. Paul's testimony, his reputation with both believers and unbelievers was so that he would not be a stumbling block to salvation. All of it so that the gospel would be propagated and that would bring glory to God. And church, if we desire to live for God's glory, we too then must live for the gospel. Live for the gospel. What better way to bring glory to God than to see or declare God's glory through the story that brings him the most glory, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Remember what we said earlier, right? How the Bible defines glory. Glory is the external manifestation of God's divine nature. The gospel is not only the power of God for salvation, but it also reveals his righteousness as we just read. The very thing that shows that he is good, that he is just, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is long-suffering, that he is forgiving, that he is loving, that's the gospel. The gospel is a story of the full revelation of God's glory through his plan and purpose of salvation, but also through the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, the Bible says. Jesus is a revelation of God's glory without his, his needing to, to put a hand against us so that we would not be consumed by his glory. And his act of substitutionary atonement on the cross where he became sin, though he knew no sin, was so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. All of that is proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of that proclaims the glory of God. Listen, this is why to live for the gospel is to live for God's glory. This is why our integrity, our our life of worship is so important. Our testimony, our witness, because it proclaims through our lives how the gospel of Jesus Christ can and does change lives today. As we mentioned last week, our lives is a testimony to unbelievers of God's ability to save even the most wretched, even the worst sinner. It testifies to the power and the goodness of God. Our changed lives is a glorious testimony of how God can change sinners, save sinners. This is why Jesus says 
himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So church, the question arises once again. How are you living for the gospel? Are you bringing God glory with your life by exemplifying a life that has truly been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you living a life that demonstrates the power of God to help overcome sin? The hope of Christ that is greater than any depression, than any sorrow that we can experience in this lifetime. Are you living an an exemplary life exemplary life that communicates the gospel. Church, if we want to live for His glory, God's glory, we must live a life of integrity, a conscience that is clear of guilt, that is consistent with our actions and our convictions. We must live a life that declares the worship of our God, that that, that declares His goodness and His grace to those around us with every aspect of our lives, from our words, our actions, our deeds, our decisions, our, even with how we steward our resources, everything ought to be an act of worship to our God. And finally, if we desire to live for His glory, we must live for the gospel. As Paul says, that we must live a life worthy of the gospel that has saved us. Lives that declare the power of God that can and does change and and save sinners. So the invitation is for us, and is clear for us this morning, church. Are you living for the glory of God? In every aspect of your life, are you living for the glory of God? And I get it, you know, none of us here are perfect and we, 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 we wander, we are prone to wander, we are prone to, to go astray. And it's hard and it's difficult to have every aspect of our lives be an utterance of praise to God, an utterance of glory to God. But are you at least pursuing it? Are you at least endeavoring towards it? Are you at least asking for mercy and grace and help from God to help you live out that kind of life? Because church, again, you know, tying it all back to this series of Ecclesia and what it means to be, to be of the called out ones, what it means to be a local body of Christ. Because imagine, church, what we can do together as a body of believers, as a family of God, if all our intentions, if all our efforts, if all our endeavors was for the sake of bringing God glory in this life. For the sake of, of making known the name of Jesus Christ in our communities, in our cities, in our province, in our country. Imagine what God could do through us as a result of that kind of life. Well, we get an example of that in Scripture, don't we? It says in Acts chapter 2, an example of, of, of a, a church, the early church, and how they in everything that they did, live for God's glory. Let me just read this to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Listen, church, when we live out the responsibilities of a Christian, whether it's pursuing Christ, whether it's, it's pursuing holiness in our lives, whether it's, whether it's loving one another or stewarding the resources that we have, whether it's living for His glory, when we live these expectations, these responsibilities out. This is what God can do through our church. This is what God can do through Plus Life. And it fulfills the reason why we exist as a church. To see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that, when we fulfill that, we can confidently declare, to God be the glory. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.